together, we're encouraging each other. Um, and one of the things that we uh, have as an opportunity today is after the service, we've got a church lunch. And I'd encourage you all to stay for that. And also to make the opportunity to encourage each other, to share with each other about how your life's been going and to encourage each other as we go forward into the week. It's great that our God is not just limited to our lives, not just limited to Crowborough, but he's working all over the world. And and this evening we're going to have a slot talking about how God is working in Iran, a country that we kind of don't think of as being on God's agenda, but many, many people are coming to know Jesus in Iran. So it will be well worth coming to hearing about that. Then later this week, we've got home groups. If you're not in a home group where we get together in smaller groups to look at God's word together, then please do speak to us. We'd love to have you in a home group and I'm sure that you'll enjoy it as many other people will. If you're worried about seats, there's actually quite a few up in the gallery um, for those of you who are looking a little bit worried at the back. We've also got some special events uh, coming up and um, James is going to come and talk about the men's event and then Esther's going to come and talk about the ladies' retreat. Right up from the men's event. No? Oh, there you go. So, Wednesday, the 11th of October, 7 till 9.30, we're going to have our men's event. We've done it in the past, and it's been absolutely brilliant. It's been a really good time for us as men to come together, be together, talk. And we have a talk coming up this year um, on Titus for Men by Mark Redhouse, and he's going to speak about how... Uh, he's speaking on the letter to Titus and to help us men grow as Christians. Now, I know us men are not very good at organising anything or putting our name down. We're always the last to do it. But um, if you can put, give me a message, my email's on there, my telephone number's on there, or just tell me in person. It'd be wonderful to have as many of you come along as possible. Um, it's 6.50, payable on the night, and for that you get Domino's pizza and a pudding and some fizzy water drinks. But it should be a wonderful evening. The past ones have been absolutely brilliant, so I'm highly looking forward to it, and if I can encourage you to come, that would be brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) So, um, our our ladies' retreat this year is on Saturday the 14th of October. We've got a lady called Kimberly Davis. She's coming from the Globe Church in London, and she's going to be doing some talks for us on the theme of one another, so encouraging us in our relationships with each other. It's over at the church in Crawley, where we went last year, St Andrew's Church. starts at 9.15 and goes through to about 5 o'clock. So um, it'd be lovely if you could join us, if you're over 18 and you're female. Um, I've got some leaflets here, but I think most of you should have had one. It'd be great if you could let me know fairly soon. Either let me know or just send the money through and then I know that you've booked. Um, that'll be great. Thank you. There is, uh, we're planning to take the minibus, so if you'd like a lift, then do let Jane know. Okay.
One of the, one of the other great joys we have is uh, singing praise to our God. And we're going to sing one of the most well-known psalms with an absolutely great truth. That if we know Jesus, our God cares for us. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing, The Lord's My Shepherd. Lord our God, we thank you that we come to the God who never changes, the God who has been forever and will be forever and is worthy of praise forever. And Lord, we thank you that that is what each one of your children will be doing. And Lord, it it, it is so difficult for us to grasp, and we cannot begin to grasp, 
how the God of the universe knows each one of us by name. Lord, you know what, what our lives are facing. You know every detail. And Lord, as we come to you knowing that you know every detail, we are inclined to hide away, inclined to, to realise that we stand before the pure, holy God who is always love, always kind, always right, always pure and we know that we're so far from that. And Lord, we thank you that because of Jesus we can come to you. We thank you that the God who knows our name loves us and that you call all men, everyone, to turn back to you, to know you. So Lord, we pray that you'll be close to us now. We pray that you'll help us to worship you. We pray that you'll help us to listen to what you have to say to us now. Amen. So we're going to have our Bible reading now, and Tim's going to come and do that for us. Good morning. There's two Bible readings this morning. The first is from Luke, chapter 22. And it starts at verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later someone else saw him. You also are one of them. But Peter says, Man, I am not. And then, after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter says, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Our second reading comes from John, chapter 21, and starts at verse 15. That's on page 907. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, What is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's one of the most intense questions we can be asked by anyone, is, do you love me? And this probably was perhaps the most intense incident in Peter's life, as Jesus turns to him and says, do you love me? And we're looking forward to John teaching us from that a little bit later. But if we want a reason to love Jesus, there's some fantastic reasons in our next song. Um, After it, there's going to be the children's talk, so if you're a child, do come up the front, and we're looking forward to that. But before that, when the music starts, let's stand and sing what love can remember.
Good morning. Oh, a select little group this morning. It's quite nice when the old ones are gone. You get on the chair. Very nice. Right. Now, a couple of, well, a few weeks ago now, actually, in the summer holidays, I went to Eastbourne Airborne. Have any of you been to an air show? Have you watched the planes do amazing things? You have. You have. Okay. What's your favourite thing? Have you got a favourite thing? Shall I show you mine? I think it's most people's favourite thing. Red arrows. They're cool, aren't they? Look at them go. And uh, this next picture, I saw them do this. Look how cool this is. Wow. Well, I'm amazed. Anyway, I think that's really cool. I'd love to go in one of those planes, and that'd be amazing. You'd probably feel a bit sick after it. But, isn't that clever? And uh, there were lots of other planes as well. They weren't massively exciting, but... Oh, no. Yeah, let me tell you about this one. This is the Red Arrows. Can you see who took this photo? Me. I took that. They did a heart. So they, they have a smoke trail coming out the back and two planes flew like that and they made a heart in the sky. Isn't that amazing? They're very talented. So that was quite cool. And then they had other planes as well. And these planes were doing all sorts of loop-de-loops. And there was one plane that kind of flew like this and then it just stayed still in the air. It was almost like it was standing up on its tail in the middle of the sky and it was just like this. Shh, for ages. I thought, wow, that's clever. And do you know what? There was a man speaking over the tannoy, over the loudspeaker system, and he was talking about how amazing the pilots were, and he was talking about how amazing the planes were, and saying, these are incredible machines that have been built. They're amazing. And then do you know what happened? There was me, I was lying on the beach, and suddenly something swooped over my head really low, and it swooped down the beach about this high off the ground, narrowly missed a couple of people, and then flew off, and it was an amazing bit of flying. Can anyone guess what it was? Yeah. It wasn't a plane, no, because that would have been a bit dangerous. Yeah. It was a bird. What bird might it have been at the sea? Yeah. A seagull. Yeah, one of these flew past me. And do you know, the flight it did was amazing. And I thought, what that bird just did was more amazing than any of the planes that I've seen in the sky today. It was amazing the way it just flew and stopped so quickly and everything. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And sometimes we don't like seagulls, do we? Because what do seagulls like doing? Do you know what they like doing? Yeah. Stealing our food. Yeah, and they, they seem to like fish and chips, don't they? They steal our food. And you have to be careful where they go to the toilet as well. Yeah, I found that out this summer. So we don't always like seagulls. But do you know what? Seagulls are actually amazing. Can I show you my fact sheet? Right. Fact number one. Do you know they're expert flyers? So even when it's really windy, they can fly in such a way that they can stay still in the wind. That's cool, isn't it? Also, they eat what's called mollusks, but sometimes they're in a hard shell. Yes, they're in a hard shell. Now, how are these birds going to get to eat them? Because if they're in a hard shell, how are they going to get them out? It's not like they've got hands. They can't get a hammer. They can't get a knife and kind of pry it open. Do you know what they do? Yeah? Yeah. So they pick it up in their mouth, fly up high, drop it onto the rocks, then they have a lovely dinner. Nicely opened up for them. That's pretty clever, isn't it? Right, I need two volunteers for this one. Can I have two volunteers? Yeah, do you want to come up? And yeah, do you want to come up? And what we're going to do, okay, we're going to stamp on the floor quite a few times when I say go. You ready for that? Yeah? Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. Stamp! Okay, now you've been watching, haven't you? You saw what we did. Does one of you want to come up? No? Fair enough. Just us. Right, has anyone got any idea why, why would seagulls stamp on the ground? Because that's what they do, seagulls stamp on the ground. 
Why might seagulls stamp on the ground? Do any adults know? Go on, Pete. The worms, yeah. So the worms think it's raining, so they go, oh, let's go up to the surface, and the birds have a nice meal. And the younger birds, they watch the older birds doing it, and then they copy it, so they get dinner too. Isn't that clever? Well done. Do you want to go and sit down? Do you know, another thing they can do is drink salt water and fresh water. Have any of you accidentally swallowed some seawater this summer? Tastes nice? You spit it out, don't you? It's horrible. But you know, seagulls can drink seawater because they've got a special gland, just actually, it's just above their eyes, and it gets rid of all the salt. So it's just like water. Isn't that clever? You know, seagulls are amazing things. They can do wonderful things. And also, one more little thing, actually. Can you see the little red dot on its beak? Can you see that? You know, when, when uh, seagulls have babies, the babies, what they do is they tap away with their beak, they tap away on their mummy's beak, on the, on the red dot, they go for the red dot, and the mummy bird produces some food for the baby. Isn't that clever? So sometimes you see it where the, the baby gull is tapping away on its beak, and the mum gives it some food. Clever, isn't it? And it just made me think, you know, that we were talking about how amazing the planes were, and they were incredible. But, you know, it made me think, but who made the birds? And we think, I know who made the birds. This is what the Bible says. This is what God says, in fact. God says, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. God's saying, all the animals, all the birds, they're mine because I made them and I know them all. So we should praise God. And that's what he's saying in this psalm. People weren't worshipping him properly. And God's saying, you should be worshipping me because I made all the birds, I made all the animals. They're mine, I made them. And I think, next time you see a seagull, look after your chips, but also remember, they're amazing things that God made. So praise God for how amazing he is. Lovely, thanks for listening. I'll let you go back. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we are amazed when we open our eyes and we see what your handiwork does from the smallest bird to the greatest mountain. You made them all. You not only made them all, but you control them. You give the birds the food they need to eat. You give us the air we need to breathe. Oh Lord, you are good and you are in control of everything. And yet, as we look on this world that we live in, we see evil people, we see wicked people doing really bad things. And Lord, we pray that you will relieve those who are oppressed. We pray that you will comfort those who are suffering. Oh Lord, we pray especially for your people who are suffering at the hands of those who are picking on them because they are yours. Oh Lord, we pray that they will know your peace and your presence in a really special way. Oh Lord, we do thank you that it is sometimes the activity of wicked men that wake up people to realise that they need God. 
And we, we ask, Lord, that you will continue your work in Iran as the ordinary people see the emptiness and the wickedness and the corruption and the oppression. And as the leaders tell people to keep clear of the Bible, oh Lord, we pray that that will have exactly the opposite effect to what they intend. And Lord, we pray that your church will continue to grow there. But Lord, we're we're hungry. We're hungry that you will make yourself more present among us now. Lord, we pray that you will restore the connection with your people in this land. Lord, we pray that you will help us to turn from the things that are grieving you so that we may know that we're connected in a real and powerful living way as your spirit flows through us and it's obvious to those around us that we've been with Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we will know the privilege of being your hands and your feet, doing the good work that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Oh Lord, we thank you for the good work that's gone on this morning as in Thrive and in Rooted, the young people have been brought face to face with the voice of the living God through your word. And Lord, we pray that that will have a real impact in people's lives. And as the younger ones were hearing about Joseph, oh Lord, we pray that you will give all of us his integrity, that you will give all of us his closeness to you, And Lord, we pray that you'll give all of us his patience in suffering. Oh Lord, you know what is going on in our lives. And I pray especially for those who are downcast. Oh Lord, I pray that as they struggle, that you will refresh them and remind them that there's forgiveness with you. That you love them that however they're feeling, you do not change. And that you've promised to take each one of your children home to be with you forever. However painful life is now, there is a time forever where we will be with you and that we will be rejoicing in you. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that You will help us to use our time now, the one life that we've got, to be living for you and praising and getting ourselves ready for that time which will last forever. Oh Lord, we we pray for Graham Young. Lord, we ask that you will be with him as he is so sick. Lord, we pray that you will show him that you're a God who can be turned to. A God who can bring peace. And Lord, we pray that you'll be with the whole family. That you will help them, that they will know your love, that you will comfort them, that they will know that you're good and that you're in control. And Lord, we pray that all of us will know that. Lord, you, you know what 
each one of us will face this next week. And Lord, I pray that we will all be close to you and know you. Lord, we are glad that you are a patient God, that you're slow to anger, that you don't give up on your people. Lord, that you have said that no one will ever take any of your children out of your hand. So Lord, we we pray that you will restore those who have slipped away from you. We pray, Lord, that you will bring them to the really uncomfortable realisation that they have denied you and bring them back to you. And Lord, we, we are glad that you are a restoring God and Lord, we pray that all of us will want to know you more. We pray that all of us will be dissatisfied with the way that we've let you down this last week. That we will want to know that complete unity with you. That sense that we are living for our God and that we are not living for ourselves. So Lord, we pray that you'll help John as he brings your word to us. We ask, Lord, that It will come powerfully and that we will hear your voice and we pray that it won't just be words we hear. Oh Father, we pray that as you call us to follow you, that will be something that we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and it will be something we think about doing before Monday so we plan to do what you want us to do and plan not to do the things that you don't want us to do because they're harmful for us and they bring dishonour on you. Oh Lord, we pray that our actions will match our words. So be with us, we ask. Help us, we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing, and then John's going to speak to us from God's word. And the song we're going to sing is how Jesus calls to us in the, the stress of life, in all, in all we're facing. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
well, pictures of seagulls seems to be the theme this morning. And I have another picture as we think of our theme this morning. So here is our travel party and we're on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in our trip to Israel. Um, Here some of us paddled in uh, the shallows. I'll spare you the individual pictures of Esther and I paddling in the shallows. And as we did so, I thought very much about the passage that we're looking at this morning. One of my favourite passages and it is thought that this is where uh, this incident occurred. So I was thinking about it very much at that time in the water. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, breakfast by the beach, if you remember, and we thought about the appearance of Jesus, we thought about the the confidence of the disciples in him. We started to think about Peter, who's featured in uh, that episode in a big way. And since then, um, I, I read this book, there it is, here's the book, there's a bigger image of it. And um, well, sometimes we plug books, sometimes for men, sometimes for women, often for adults. But uh, this is particularly written for secondary school age. For secondary school age, although I think all ages will benefit because I certainly found it helpful myself. And the title is, as you can see, How Do We Know Christianity Is Really True? How Do We Know That Christianity Is Really True. It's by the Good Book Company and it goes through um, the accounts of the resurrection and the, the, the fact of the resurrection in a really clear, helpful and uh, convincing way. So, uh, any of you here at Bennett, at Beacon or beyond who think that might be helpful, then uh, perhaps speak to a rooted leader or a YP leader. I'm sure they can get hold of one somewhere along the line for you. I have also heard that there's, uh, or seen that there is some video clips of some of the key things, which I haven't looked at, but maybe you or somebody can look those out. Because that's what we were thinking about partly last time, the way in which Jesus was risen again from the dead and Christianity is clearly true. Well, our camera angle, if you like, moves from um, the, the sea and the big catch and Peter going in um, from uh, the, the beach and the uh, breakfast that they had on the beach to the, the conversation that they had after breakfast involving Peter. And for me, it's one of the most moving passages in the entire Bible. It's really Peter's restoration, or as it puts in the ESV heading, his reinstatement or his recommissioning. So restored by the sea. Is it our last one in this summer series of Jesus by the sea? And in some ways it's especially about Peter and how he was back on track and explains why he was such a key figure in the early church, and that's what Jesus wanted him to be. But it it holds in it, I think, lessons and encouragement for all of us. Because being restored is something that we, we need, something that many of us experience. It's a tremendous privilege 
from Jesus. It's said of the Good Shepherd, isn't it? Psalm 23, he restores my soul. We sang about it in the first hymn. He restores my soul. And we see the Good Shepherd here restoring somebody by the sea. And we're going to notice four things this morning as we go through. Um, The first is restored after significant failure. Restored after significant failure. So, failure is something that affects all of us. Failure is something that troubles some of us. Failure is maybe something that's troubling us uh, this morning, at this point in life. Uh, One man said to me uh, uh, once, as I look back at my life, I see one word written all over it. Failure. Failure. There was a man quite high up in the business world. Failure. Peter had failed. He said that he would stick by Jesus and uh, he said he would stick by Jesus to the point of death. And yet we read, didn't we, about what happened. When Jesus was arrested and people questioned Peter and he denied that he even knew Jesus. He repeated that denial of Jesus to different people. In the other Gospels he added oaths and curses. He swore that he had nothing to do with Jesus. And then the cock crew and he remembered the prediction of Jesus that he would deny him three times. And then there's that glance of Jesus somehow across the courtyard in Peter's direction And Peter emotionally collapses with upset and it says he went out and wept bitterly as he realised how much he'd let down Jesus at Jesus' moment of trial. Despite all his bravado, instead of speaking positively about Jesus, he severed his link, he He made it seem as though Jesus meant nothing to him, was not part of his life. He denied Jesus. And uh, as you look backwards, perhaps you feel that life is, is littered with failure. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you feel it's got the word failure written all over it. Maybe recently you've obviously gone off track. Perhaps despite your intentions, you've actually acted as though Jesus didn't exist. You've been making out to people that Jesus means nothing to you. You're so keen, come September, to head back to college and for things to be different. Yet after a few days, it all seems to have crumbled already. Your new resolutions to uh, do good things, to stick close to Christ, and uh, yet you've let him down badly already, perhaps, and others too. 
Um, you blew it this week. You blew your top. The words that flew out of your mouth, the language that came, the anger that was shown towards your children, towards your family, towards your colleagues, towards your neighbours. That menacing sin which you thought was history. And it's come back again. It's caught you and you're responsible and you feel thoroughly rotten about it. Well, it's wonderful that there's this beach scene, isn't it? Jesus hadn't finished with Peter. Peter had a future, despite his past. He's not been taken to the rubbish heap. He's not been discarded as a, a reject. Jesus is restoring him after significant failure. So be encouraged by this episode as we get into it and the kindness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Some people don't suffer fools gladly, sort of one failure and they're out. I'm so glad that's not the way with Jesus. Jesus is wonderfully kind uh, to Peter. But he doesn't want him to totally forget what's happened. This isn't a gloss over job, if you like. There are things here to remind Peter that he had failed. Maybe the coals burning as they were on the night when he denied. The comparison to others makes him think of his own boast. And especially the way in which when Jesus speaks to him, he says something to him three times and... and, um, That touches a nerve, doesn't it, with Peter in verse 17 here of John 21. And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Why did he ask Peter three times, this question? Because Peter had denied three times. Jesus is making that link. You know, we do have to face up to failure to some extent we do have to feel the, the, the pain of it. We're prone rather to block it out, to deny it, pretend it never happened, but we do have to face up to it, we do have to learn lessons, we do have to repent. Maybe you're at the stage where you need to face up to failure this morning. This isn't a gloss over job, this isn't to make light of things which are, uh, have been very damaging to others, but the clear message here is that there is a way forward. There is restoration after significant failure. That's great, isn't it? Secondly, restored to humbly love. The way in which Peter is restored is, is touching, is fascinating, is insightful. As we see, have we seen Peter is asked a question, and questions make us think, don't they? And personal questions make us think especially, and questions asked several times make us think even more. And Jesus asks Peter this question three times. 
And what is the question he asks? What's the key question? Are you brave now, Peter? Are you going to be zealous, Peter? Are you sorry, Peter? All reasonable questions. This is the question. Do you love me? Do you love me? A searching question. Some of you thought about it at a prayer meeting recently. Doesn't it show the the heart of the issue? As we go forward from this point in our Christian lives, isn't this the sort of big central need to have love for Jesus? Devotion to him, gratefulness to him, a sense of relationship with him, being committed to him. I think it's quite good to hear it said through this to us this morning. Jesus says, do you love me? And it's especially personal, he's named, isn't he, each time. Simon, his old name actually, that must have made him think. But son of John, you know, don't be clear which Simon I'm talking about. This is for you, Simon. Hear your name being called out this morning. Do you love me? John Cowley, do you love me? Jesus says. Fill in the blanks for yourself. What would your answer be? This is a root question in going forward. Do you love me? That's what Jesus says. What does Peter answer each time? Let's read through this account 15 to 17 when he's asked, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He can say he loves Jesus. He's grateful to Jesus. He wants to please him. He values him. He's committed to him. A few days ago he boasted how much better than others he would be. He doesn't follow that line of thought now. He doesn't compare himself to others. He's more realistic. He's thoughtful. He's measured. But he does love. At the end of the day he says in verse 17 humbly, honestly, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Our lives show that our love is not not always consistent, not very strong. We do love, but we have to be humble in that love. As the hymn says, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is cold and faint. 
yet I love thee and adore. Oh, for grace to love you more. Perhaps you're feeling a bit shaken by personal failure. Maybe verse 17 just gives you some words in going forward along these lines. Lord, you know everything. It's not hidden from you. You know that I love you. Restore to humbly love. Third point from this morning. Restore to serve the Lord Jesus. Restore to serve the Lord Jesus. You know, one of the most heartening things about Peter's restoration is what he asked him to do. I mean, it's just wonderful, isn't it? Let's repeat it. It might, might have been just enough that he was welcomed back, you know, that Jesus is talking, they're on talking terms, that Jesus is speaking to Peter. But Jesus wants him to serve. Each time, doesn't he, he responds to Peter's response with feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He's not going to start a new career as a a sheep farmer. His language of uh, spiritual responsibility. Peter's going to be a spiritual shepherd. Teach Peter feed Peter, care for, help those who are Christians, help those who are my people, whom I love. I'm entrusting some of their care to you. Uh, Before he had an evangelistic commission, that that keeps going, I think he's a fisher of men. Now he also has a, a pastoral commission, feed, tend, care for my sheep. And you can imagine, can't you, Peter just almost in astonishment saying, What, me, Lord? You still want me to do something, Lord? You've got a job for me to do? Of course, there's something special about Peter here and his role in the early church, which has been pointed to. But there's a a wonderfully encouraging lesson that despite his failings, He has a special role. And you too are restored to serve. Maybe to keep fishing, to invite people, to be a friend, to help people, to understand people. Maybe to care for Christ's sheep, to get alongside them, to message them, to pray for them. Maybe as well in other callings to be a godly parent, to be a helpful son, to be a loving grandma, to be a diligent carer. To humbly work hard in your daily paid job. Jesus has things for you to do to serve him. What are they for you? Serve him in those callings. 
Maybe you keep doing some of the similar things, but doing it now as to the Lord who you love and who has restored you. Now, sometimes our failure does affect the way we serve in the, in the future. There are certain failures which mean certain things are no longer right or suitable for us in going forward, but there is still a way back. There is still a role. There used to be a, saving, a saying called saved to serve. When we become a Christian, we're called to serve. But this morning we can take it further and say restored to serve. Restored to serve. At the home groups on um, Thursday, we'll be dipping into Philippians 3 as this wonderful little line, which I think is so good compared to this morning. Forgetting the things which are behind, I press forward. Don't let failure chain you. Failure can do that. It can bind you with a sense of hopelessness, lostness and frustration to retreat, to bury your head in the sand, to bury your gifts, to do nothing, to isolate. It's time to look forward. Jesus has things for you to do. Restore to serve the Lord Jesus. Well, we move on from the three questions now. Because there's more that happens after, quite a bit more, but I'm just going to home in on one of it. I'm going to pick out another lesson, especially from the next two verses, which are verses 18 and 19. Let me read them before I put up the heading. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Restored to follow to the end. Restored to follow to the end. Now Jesus had originally called Peter to follow, hadn't he? We'd seen some of that command by the sea earlier in the series. And here we have the same words. And we have it twice. Verse 19, verse 22. Follow me. And you follow me. Now, follow me are good words for, if you like, nearly Christians. If you're seeking, um, looking into Christianity, this is a good word to hear, follow me. They're good words for beginning the Christian life. I think the first time I was involved with preaching at a baptism here, I think that was what I picked as the theme, follow me. It's good for young Christians. But here we have it for mature, a mature Christian. It's good for mature Christians. It's good for those who are some way down the road. So can I speak to you this morning who uh, have been following Jesus a a little while and you're here this morning or maybe you're listening in. Jesus says to you at this stage, again, follow me. The years have passed. You've had ups and downs. Mistakes have been made. Sometimes big mistakes 
sometimes mistakes which have taken many months and years. But now comes the phrase, follow me, to somebody who followed many years ago. And I think it's very moving here in the situation which follows on because he talks of the way in which Peter's life will end. It's a well-established, it seems, tradition that Peter too was later crucified many years on from this and that Jesus is pointing to that in what he describes in these two verses. And I think these two verses have a lot of encouragement for, for those facing a sort of decline in their health and facing the the latter years. In fact, I read them to uh, two of our dear members of our church family who are now in residential homes, two separate um, individuals, a couple of weeks ago and they were encouraged by thinking along these lines. So we are restored to serve, yes, and often that involves busyness and activity, But following doesn't finish with that activity. I think the description of Peter's future is, is similar to the older years for many of us. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. A loss of independence, a loss of mobility, uh, needing others to do things, some of the basics of life having to be done by others, relying on others to take us places, But notice this, in and through this, Jesus says, follow me. Following Jesus is not just about when you're running camps and cooking lasagnas and putting out the chairs and a key member of certain committees. Following Jesus is also to the end in your dependence, in your sense of loss over what you can't do anymore, Jesus still speaks into that situation and says, you follow me, even now. In fact, it's put, I think, even more striking as we, we go into the, the next verse, even more positive. Uh, look how uh, Peter's crucifixion is described how he's going to die is described in verse 19 this he said to him to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God he was going to glorify God even in that position of being so dependent on others so unable to do what he wanted so looking so weak so humiliated so ashamed and in that he was going to be glorifying God. You know, glorifying God is not just when you're chanting out the hymns with full gusto, or it's not just when you're teaching the youth group right up to the end. Believers in their manner, in their hope, in their faith, in their contentment, glorify God. 
Older believers, you, you probably don't realise what an encouragement you are, what an example you are to so many of us who follow on in the godliness and the faith that you show. I know you feel it's mixed at times and I know you feel your failure at times, but which shines through to us in our younger years. You are still following. You are still glorifying God. And we can glorify God when we have a walking frame. When we have carers come in three times a day. When we're reliant on well-turned-up hearing aids. You still have breath, believer. Your days of glorifying God are not over. Restored to follow to the end. That's the way forward. So I think it's a, I find it one of the most moving accounts in the Bible. And you can imagine that as I paddled there on the shores of Galilee, it was a, it was a privilege just to sort of be in roughly in the area where that sort of thing happened. And I hope this morning as we just unpack a little bit of the contents of these few verses of Jesus restoring Peter by the sea, that maybe they're a a help to you as well. I pray so. Well, it's a reflective message that was meant to be this morning. And so I think a a pause for a, a minute to reflect and pray personally would be a good thing. Let's have a quiet before we go to our last song. Let's move on to our last song which is a song of devotion and, and reflects a, a desire to serve Jesus in the everyday things of life. This is a, a good looking forward to song. Forgetting the things that are behind, we press forward. And one of the reasons I've picked it is that as we get to the, the very end, you'll see it, it relates to us in the older years as well. encourages us to, to be devoted and serving Christ through to the end. Christ be in my waking as the sun is rising.
thank you for the wonderful kindness and restoring grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Words which we need to hear and be encouraged in. Help us to go forward in love. Help us to go forward in what you've called us to do. Help us to go forward uh, serving even through difficulties and especially be with those who find the the trials of the older years such a, a daily difficulty. Help them to serve you, to glorify you in the time they have left. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.